Welcome to Rock Springs Church. Let me invite you, if you would, to take your Bible and find the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation, we've been looking at several passages for several weeks now. Chapter 5. Chapter 5. We didn't finish chapter 5 last week. We may not finish it this week, but we're going to give it a shot. Revelation chapter 5. That's the last book in the Bible. In case you didn't know that. The most mysterious book in the Bible, right? I have a friend that when I start talking about Revelation, she'll say, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> don't talk about Revelation. She's really scared of it because it is so mysterious. Revelation chapter 5. Uh, let's begin with verse 1 and catch up to where we left off last week. Verse 1 says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. So John has seen this vision, right? God's given him a vision of the future and there's a scroll, and any time that, that a scroll was present, a person who loved the Word of God wanted to know what was inside of it. And so it's no different than today. Uh, a person who, you know, loves the Word of God wants to read it all the time. You know, we're reading through the Psalms as a church, and I, can't, I just can't read one Psalm. It's like I've got to read two or three on the left side of it, two or three on the right side of it, including the one we're supposed to read today. And so that's the way John was. He's like, there's a scroll there. It's got something written on it. It's, it's a mystery. I want to know what it is. And he wept because there was no one there to open the scroll. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and the seven seals. So John's wiping his tears up. Okay, somebody's going to open him. Then I saw a lamb, talking about Jesus here, looking as if he had been slain. Jesus was slain for our sins, right? He died on the cross for my sins. He died on the cross for your sins. And he rose again so that we can have life in him. Then I saw the lamb, standing as if he'd been slain, standing in the center of the throne, circled by four living creatures. Once again, it's all kind of creatures up in heaven that we don't know what they are, or who they are, or their purpose a lot of times. But the Bible is describing some of them here. And we just have to accept that there are things we haven't met yet, all right? There, there are things we just haven't met yet. We continue to discover in the natural world uh, new things in the sea, new things on the land. Just, just this past week, there were some articles about some new animals that we had found that we didn't even know about. <clears throat> and he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. That's the Father. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Once again, just to remind you, last week we read this, your prayers matter. No matter how short the prayer is or how long the prayer is, it matters. It, it rises up before God. This is, a, this is symbolic of our prayers coming before God as incense. In other words, God likes it when we pray. That's what you're trying to say. You like the smell of incense. That's the analogy here. God likes the way our prayers come up before him. 
If all the prayer you've got on any given day is Jesus. If that's all you've got, that's a good prayer. Know that. If you're just having the worst day of your life, and all you can say is Jesus, just say Jesus. It's okay. God is not offended by the length or the shortness of our prayers or the length of it. He's just not. He looks on our heart anyway. Right? So pray. If all you've got is Jesus, pray that. It's a great prayer. And when they offered this incense, it's prayers before the saints. And then they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain in your blood. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. All right, this is kind of where we left off last week. I didn't get to get to this verse, verse 10 here. Um, in any religion, any religion, man-made or otherwise, it seems, there are certain people who are in charge of that religion. And so in the, in the Jewish nation, they would be called priest. Right? That was the name for them. But they weren't the first person to use the word priest. There were other religions that would use the word priest or something similar to the word priest. We might use the word pastor today, the person in charge. And so various cults, various religions, they would all have someone in charge and they would have a title. And so the title would be priest. In addition to that title would be a royal priest. And so a royal priest is one who's appointed by the king to serve the religion, whatever it might be. And so if you were a priest, that was a great thing to be. But if you were a royal priest and the king had selected you to serve within that religion or that cult, that meant you were really important. Well, John is using words here to help us understand that we are all priests. Now, there's a, there's a theology called the priesthood of believers. It's something we all believe in. It's Baptist, Methodist, uh, you know, some of your mainline denominations all believe in the priesthood of believers. And what that simply means is, is that each one of us is responsible to stand before God. We don't have to go through a priest to get to him. That's what that, that's what that theology means. And it's true. You don't have to go through me to get to Jesus, right? And so there are a lot of religions around the world set up to where you have to go through certain layers of people before God hears your prayers. And you can't find that in the Bible. It's just not in the Bible particularly not in the New Testament, where Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. Therefore, we can go straight to him. So what we find in this scripture, we have found in several other places in the Bible. Uh, if you'll take and find Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. All the way back in the beginning. Genesis, Exodus chapter 40. Verse 15. Back up to, we'll start with verse 12. Exodus 40, verse 12. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then dress Aaron in this sacred garments, anoint him and consecrate him so that he may serve me as a priest. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics. Anoint them just as you anointed their father so they may serve me as priest. Their anointing will be to a priesthood that will continue for all generations to come. 
this is the this is the first concept of priesthood that we have in the Bible, and it was uh, Aaron and his sons and so forth would become priests. This is setting us up. This scripture sets us up all the way to the book of Revelation, where it says He has made us a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. But it doesn't stop right there. Let's find Psalm sixty-eight. Psalm sixty-eight. <clears throat> which was yesterday's psalm, if you happen to read Psalm 68 yesterday. And verse 18. We'll start with verse 17 because it's also in chapter 5. It says, The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai into a sanctuary. When you ascend on high, you led captives in your train, you receive gifts from men, even from the rebellious, that you, O Lord, might dwell there. Praise be to the Lord our God, our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Once again, this scripture is setting us up for another scripture that you'll find in Ephesians chapter 4. So find Ephesians chapter 4. We're connecting dots here. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8. And the key verse is verse 8. Verse 7 says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why he says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Once again, setting us up to say, What gifts do we have? What, how is this coming from Genesis to, to the Psalms to Ephesians? And then if you'll find 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. Make the last connection here. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 5. It says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he brought four things to us, and what he brought to us was that we are now priests and that we can serve God and that we worship him in spirit and in truth. And then that same verse, uh, same chapter, chapter, First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen people and a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Isn't that beautiful? God calls us out of darkness, the darkness of our sin, into, into his light. And then that last, one last verse back over in Ephesians chapter 2. Let me just read this for you. You already know this because I talk about it a lot. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says, But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. Do you realize that? You can't save yourself. It's by what? Grace that you've been saved through faith, right? Grace is God's part. Faith is our part. God says, I've given you all grace to be saved. And he says, if you just have faith in me, just a little bit of faith in me, then you'll be saved. And God raised us up. Here it is. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show himself the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us through Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. 
For we are all God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, it says we're seated with Christ. I'm looking at, you guys are seated in chairs right now. How can you be seated with Christ and be sitting in chairs at the same time? The Bible says you're seated with Christ. How's that possible? Yes, Christ is in us, Heather. Exactly right. Exactly right. And we're in him. So wherever he is, we are. True? If I'm in him and he's in me, then wherever he is, I am. So Jesus is in heaven and Jesus is in my heart. Therefore, I'm in heaven with Jesus. Right? Right? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? So First Peter says that we've been, we've been built into a spiritual household. So what does all that mean? What does all that mean for us? Let's continue reading. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. We just read that in Psalm 68, right, about the chariots of God. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang. Now, 10,000 times 10,000 is like 100 million and then more. So there's a lot of angels John says, I, I tried to count. There's just so many. I, I, just, I lost track. I couldn't count them. There's just so many of them there. Plus the living creatures and the elders. And they were singing this song. Worthy is the lamb who was slain, right? The revelation song, right, that we just sang. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Now it says that Jesus is to receive these things. Can you and I give him any of these things? No, it's, it's really talking about more of his qualities, who he is. He's, he's worthy of his qualities. This is who Jesus is. For us, he is power. For us, he's wealth. As a matter of fact, the scripture, in the scriptures, we find where it says he's these things. Receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. That's who Jesus is. And that's who Jesus is for us. <clears throat> And then I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Let's read that together. Ready? To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Right? So, here's, I told you when we first started chapter 5, I just keep uncovering new truths that I'd never seen before. And I've taught on this through the years, quite often. But this is just a really cool truth I'm fixing to share with you, okay? You ready for this? It says right here in verse 13, it says, And I heard every creature... I heard every creature. Does that mean you? Does that mean humans? Every creature. Yeah, every creature, right? And so in, in the Greek, the implication is every, every living thing, every creature, animals, crawdads, humans, you know, hogs and dogs and frogs, everything in between is worshiping God at this point. So I got to thinking about this. When was the book of Revelation written? Some think it was written in 68 A.D. 
And I could certainly make a case for that. Some people think it was written in 96 A.D. I can make a case for that too. But I'm not going to try to make a case for either one of them today. What I'm going to say is, it was written sometime before 100. So I've got these signs, for you folks listening to the podcast, I've got these signs in the church building this morning. The first sign says 100. Okay? Janice, do you feel 100 today? Yeah, you were saying earlier... She says she feels good. So John was writing somewhere before 100 A.D. Okay? Everybody with me so far? All right. And so we're in the second stand here has got 2019. That's this year, right? 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 If it is, if you got that, you're good. You're here, you're alive, that's great. All right? And the fact that you moved your time forward, clock forward, that's great. So we're in the year 2019. And so this is the year what? 20 what? 2063. Now, I am not making a, a prophetic prognostication when Jesus is coming with this, with this date. Okay? I'm not saying this is the date. or any, It's just the date I picked. Now, I picked it on purpose because a true Star Trek fan of the next generation <laughs> will know what that date is. Okay? So if you're listening, the date is 2063. And if you're a Star Trek fan of the next generation, you will know what 2063 is. That's the only reason I picked that date. But I need to pick a date to make a point. All right? So that's why that's, that date is here. All right, so let's back up one more time. John's writing in 100 A.D. But he's talking about something that's going to happen in 2063 or whenever Jesus comes back. Right? So this is, this is a prophetic word. That's way in the future. Way in the future. So what's in between 100 A.D. and 2063 A.D.? What's somewhere in between that? 2019, right? 2019. That just blows me away. When John is prophesying out here, he's actually looking back the past right he's looking in the future but what we're reading is talking about what's also in the past this is in the present this is in the future but it's also in the past so when the scripture says when john says i heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth singing this song he's talking about you what god gave John, for the end times, it hasn't happened yet, was a word about everything that was going to happen up to that point, which includes you. You're in chapter 5. You made it. You made it. You're in chapter 5. The prophecy in the scriptures is talking about all of us here. If it was written then, and it's going to happen in the future at some point, then everything from there to here is already written in there. That's what's in the scroll. In addition to everything we read in the 20-something chapters of Revelation, right, that they're going to follow, all of our names, all of our stories, all the sacrifices we made for God. As a matter of fact, there's even a verse in here where the martyrs, right, that cry out. God says, I've got a place for them. They're going to cry out. The people who died, who were, who were slain because they stood up for me. 
there's even a space and a place for them. They made it. You're in the Bible. You know, so many people want to have their 15 seconds of fame on TV or Instagram. They want to be an influencer, right? And all that's going to fade away. Matter of fact, it, it fades away daily, right? If you haven't noticed, Instagram goes away every day, right? It's gone. But what's written in the Lamb's book of life and what's written on this scroll never goes away. It never goes away. And if you're trusting in Jesus Christ and Him alone for your salvation this morning, you will never go away. Your story is not Instagram, right? It's permanent. That's a reason to rejoice. You are not going to fade away. You know, you get to a certain age. I'm not saying I'm there yet, but you get to a certain age and you look back on your life and you wonder, did I do enough? Did I, did I make enough impact? Did I, did I bless my children and grandchildren enough? Did I bless the congregations I served in enough? Did, did I do enough? And, and we, we tend to look backwards on that. But I'm here to tell you, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ and Him alone, right? And if you're telling other people about Jesus, that's enough. That's more than enough. Living the life of Christ and telling other people about him, that's just it's more than enough. Right? You'll never have to worry about not being significant if you're in Christ because he makes us significant. Right? The fact that he would choose you and say, I choose you. I choose you. The fact that he would choose us and love us like nobody else ever could, that makes it significance for us. You know, all of my reading here lately has been about hopelessness in, in the world. Hopelessness. This new generation come along and that's their word. We just don't have any hope. And they, they talk about significant things. I was, one of our teenagers was sharing this morning. They talk about in the hallway at school. They talk about some of the, the weightiest things in life as, as if they're nothing. Just whatever, whatever. You know, some 400 teenagers a day try to end their life with drugs and some 200 succeed. A, a day. A day. Right? Because they don't have hope. But here's the thing. We have hope. It's in the scripture. I'm, I'm there. Uh, you're there. God has written our names in, in all of this. And we need to take the hope of Jesus Christ to those who have no hope and tell them, just, just try Jesus. Just try Jesus for, how about just trying it for a week or a month? Just try Jesus and see what happens. Years ago, I had a gentleman that came to me and he was ready to end his life. He was well in years and he had some complications, some health complications. And he said, the doctors have only given me you know, about six months to live, but I'm, I'm going to end it early. And I said, okay, can we talk about it? Sure. We were sitting in one of these chairs, and we pulled up the chairs, and I said, well, tell me how you got to this point. And so he told me how the, this disease had progressed and all that he had done to try to stop it, and, and he was just tired. He said, I just don't have any hope. I said, so the doctors have given you six months, right? I said, what could you do in the next six months? If you hung around, he said, well, I don't know. I said, well, let's write it down. And so we began making a list of the things he could do for other people, 
for his family and other people. We begin, we begin processing through that. So, so what can you do this week to help someone? And some of your friends or neighbors or your family. He said, well, so-and-so. He listed off some. I said, let's write that down. I said, so can you hang around one more week just for him? I call that guy's name that you wanted to help. <coughs> well, yeah, I can do that. I said, who else can you help? And so he listed somebody else off. I said, now, how about, this? How about two weeks from now? Can you help them on that project with what they're doing? Well, yeah, I've got a meeting I'm going to go to. I'm going to see him. Okay so, okay, so hang around two more weeks. And so eventually I had him out to six months, right? Had him out to six months of things he needed to do for other people and for his family and for himself. And, and he finally called on and said, you know, I, I do have something I can give. I just didn't realize it. I said, yeah. And so he hung around to the natural end of his life, right? Which was a year later, Right? He was told six months, but he got active and started helping people, and the Lord just gave him another measure of life, and, and he went on for six more months beyond that. And when he passed away, I was there in the room, and he was just uh, at peace. He was at peace. So if you know somebody that's hopeless, just get them to think about the first week in front of them, Right? What needs to be done this week in your life? Don't, don't take it this week. Let's, we'll talk about it next week. And that's what I told him. I said, we'll talk about this next week. But you take care of this week. Jesus is the hope of the world. Are you trusting in him? Are you, are you trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? <coughs> One of our teenagers, well, almost a teenager, he won't call himself a teenager yet, but Trusted in Jesus this week, sitting, talking at home, and, and he said, yes, I want to say yes to Jesus. Right. Amen. Amen? Praise the Lord. Children, teenagers, are you trusting in Jesus this morning as your Lord and Savior? Are you really? Thank you, Taylor. Good answer. Well-spoken, young man. Well-spoken. If you're not trusting in Jesus, talk to your parents. Talk to some adult in this room. Talk to our youth leaders. Talk to our children's leaders. This morning. To wrap up. Four things real quick, Mike. And I've already shared this before, so it's, it needs to be repeated. Number one, Jesus is the center of the universe. You're not. No person is. The church is not the center of the universe. America is not the center of the universe. Washington, D.C. is not the center of the universe. No Congress person is the center of the universe. Jesus is the center of the universe. Okay? Right? Secondly, uh, Jesus is the center of all history. He is the center of all history. All history revolves around him. If John can get a prophecy of Jesus over here that's going to happen over here, right, in the future, then Jesus must be the center of all history. And he is. Matter of fact, he says, it is now finished. When he hung on the cross, it is finished, the center of all history. Third thing, Jesus is the circumference of all of life. He's the circumference of all of life. You cannot escape Jesus. It says, it says in, in the Psalms, if I go to the top of the mountain, oh, you're there. If I go to the depths of the earth, oh, look, you're there. If I go as far east as I can, oh, you're there. If I go as far west as I can, oh, you're there too. If I hide in my closet in my house you're there too if i hide in my own self right 
I've withdrawn so deeply myself. You're there. You can't withdraw into yourself far enough and Jesus not be there. Because every step you take further into who you are, He's right there. He's the circumference of all of life. You can't go anywhere and Jesus not be there. Isn't that beautiful? When you get when you get to the end of your rope and you're ready to let go, Jesus is there. You've heard the story about the man that fell down the well, right? He's hanging on for dear life and he's screaming at the top of his lungs and anybody out there, help me, help me, help. He's down to the well, it's dark and it's nighttime. He's hanging on, his hands are getting tired. He keeps slipping and slipping. He's afraid to fall any further into the well. And here's this voice that says, Let go of the rope. I can't let go of the rope. Is anybody else up there? You know, screaming, hollering. I need help. I need help. He hears the voice again. Let go of the rope. Three times he hears his voice. Let go of the rope. Let go of the rope. I can't let go of the rope. And finally, in exhaustion, after hours of hanging there in the darkness, he lets go of the rope and he falls six inches. <laughs> Solid ground. Solid ground, right? That's Jesus. You can hang on that rope all you want to and think you're doing your job, but just let go. Just let go. Trust Jesus. He's right there. He's going to catch you. Fourth thing. Jesus is the caretaker of your soul. Jesus is the caretaker of your soul. You know, there are times when we trust our soul to another person. Sometimes it's marriage, right? Sometimes it's maybe dating. Uh, we, we tend to trust our soul at, at a certain point to people. And Nine times out of ten, we get disappointed. Sometimes bad disappointed, sometimes just mildly disappointed. But people always let us down. Not because people are intending to let us down. It's just human nature. Right? Your pastor's going to let you down. Right? Your principal's going to let you down. Your plumber's going to let you down. Right? Your policeman's going to let you down. All the P words we could think of, right? Somebody's going to let you down. But here's the thing. When you trust your soul to Jesus, he will never let you down. Amen. Ever. When you trust your soul to Jesus. He's the caretaker of our soul. Right? A lot of us won't trust our soul to Jesus because we got hurt in a relationship. Maybe with a father who abused us. Or a mother who abused us. We trusted our soul to them and look what they did to me. But I want you to know, you can trust Jesus. Jesus will never abuse you. Right? He'll never harm you. He'll never hurt you. He will only be love, joy, peace, patience, temperance, long-suffering, right? Gentleness, meekness, he'll, strength. And he'll only be those things for you and always be those things for you. He'll never be anything different than that. Jesus is the caretaker of our soul. Let's pray. Father.